Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living the solutions. Today I have a very special guest on. Um, I like to call her a dear friend because we've known each other for several years, and I've watched the Association of Independent Doctors flourish from, uh, you know, people who were on the front line who wanted to make a difference and, and could, to now a nationwide organization who's on the front line really fighting a battle that patients and doctors need. You know, the, you're out there trying to get the hospitals and rein them in and, and highlight the, the disparities between what it means to be a physician working in a hospital or having sold their practice to a hospital and an, an independent doctor and how that affects the community. So I wanted to thank uh, Ms. Marnie Jameson on for uh, coming on to talk about what AID is doing. She's the executive director and somebody who is the, you know, the go-between between physicians who actually listens to us. And, Marty, I really thank you for that because you're able to take our voices to D.C., to the powers that be, and amplify it. So welcome to the show. It's really great to have you back on. Thanks, Elena. I'm very happy to be here and honored. It's a pleasure. Now, before the break, we were talking, or before we started the show, we were talking about all the exciting things that AID does. But let's start off from the beginning. Where, when, how old is the organization, and what was the, why was it founded? We were founded in April of 2013, so we're six years old. And I wasn't there. Well, I was there as a reporter. Uh, the association was founded by two very forward-minded certified public accountants here in Winter Park, Florida, and they were seeing what was happening with the consolidation in health care and the decimating effects that the acquisitions of medical groups by hospitals were having not only on physician morale, and they saw that with a front row seat, but also on the cost of health care, the quality of health care, access to health care, and you know, I think one of the most insidious effects is when these medical groups are bought by nonprofit hospitals, the taxes they once paid into the community come off the tax rolls. So we all suffer financial harm as a result. So they started the association to give a voice for independent doctors who weren't being heard. And I was there as a health reporter. I covered the story for the Orlando Sentinel. It got published and shared, and uh, that, the first meeting that I covered had about 100 doctors there, and they pointed up $1,000 apiece to kick off the association. And when the news traveled, more doctors joined, and 14 or 15 months later, the two founders, Carol and Tommy, asked me to dinner and said, um, how would I like a change in my career, and would I like to run this thing? So I started in uh, summer of 2014. That's really just a, a really great – you must feel like the – the headwinds have started to blow in your favor, and I think we've talked about it early on in, in uh, the organization, the power that the hospitals were having and the pendulum. And it seems to me that it swung as far towards the hospital power as it possibly could, where I've lost colleagues to leaving their practices, to selling them to hospitals. I've worked as a contract worker for hospitals at points, and it just seemed to me that it was unsustainable because there's so much – in just having the amount of power that they had to control access, control the market, for me as a surgeon, control my access to do surgery and how that affected the patient. And 
you know, I think we're going to get into it later in the show, but from your standpoint, how on earth, I mean, it's, maybe you won't be able to answer it, but how do they get this much power in order to make certificate of needs, change the legislation in their favor while they're the biggest game in town, yet they're still crying poor and as if they're, you know, a forgotten stepchild. I don't understand how that works, but how do you think they've got a foothold in the healthcare system like they did? Yeah, well, for one thing, um, I mean, remember I'm on your side, but doctors were asleep at the switch. Mm-hmm. This happened on their watch, and they were busy removing gallbladders and tumors and curing heart disease, and they weren't minding the store. Nothing against them, but they have come up. They're definitely awake now, and they're they're running hard against this um, movement. The hospitals got where they are because of special interests. They, the American Hospital Association alone, spends $22 million a year lobbying U.S. Congress, and that goes a long way to carry sway. Insurance companies spend as much or more. Pharma spends as much or more. Even the American Medical Association is in on this. They want the status quo. They don't want transparency. They want prices to be obfuscated. And all of these parties had a seat at the table when Obamacare was getting drafted, and, and things haven't gotten better since 2010 when that went into effect. And while there are some good aspects to that law, there are much of it is very favorable to hospitals and insurance companies as it's been it's driven consolidation. So they got they were very very good about shifting the focus of that law from affordable affordable care to coverage. And they were very great at explaining to America, well, everybody needs coverage, and that sounds just fantastic. And, you know, a lot of Americans were wooed by that. Let's get on the bandwagon. Oh, Americans will lose coverage if this doesn't happen. But they took the focus off cost. They win if everyone's covered. The hospitals would get paid by the insurance companies if the patients are insured. So the hospitals get covered. They get paid. The insurance companies get their premium. They don't care about cost. Mm-hmm. They care about getting paid. So that's how they, we got into this mess. I think you did a a wonderful synopsis of this. And I think the corollary is they got paid, but the doctors didn't. So as an independent doctor, I can tell you, every year from the time I opened my practice, the reimbursement rate has dropped. So it seems to me that they also took the the money with them into their little monopolies. Oh, yes. Not only are they getting paid, and we can talk about the stratospheric salaries of our nation's healthcare executives as compared to our the hardest working members of the, of the team, which are the doctors, mm-hmm. and we talk about that growing salary gap. It's not just that they're getting paid more, but there are so many more of them. The number of administrators over the last 10 or 15 years, I have one study that shows while the growth of physicians has been about 150% since 1970, which is appropriate given our increased population. The number of administrators has gone up, ready for this, 3,200%. Oh, my gosh. So there are far too many administrators who never sign a patient chart, never place an order, never lay a hand on a patient, don't get a call in the middle of the night. They do nothing to deliver patient care. They simply oversee those who do. And they're they're the ones getting all the money. And that's such a tragedy. And they're the decision makers. And you know what? I think that whole template is used throughout the whole healthcare system. So if you look at the insurance companies, it's the same model. It's not the people 
who understand what, what it's like to take care of patients making the decisions. It's a pencil pusher. And it costs everybody so much more in time, in paperwork, but it's not better in patient care. And I want to take our first break because when we come back, I want to ask you what you think about how the hospital's model has unfolded. Because it sounded good, you know, I guess to a legislator. You know, it's going to be more places, you know, I'm sure they said we'll go into the underserved areas, we'll open up clinics, all sorts of things that they promised to get the legislation on board. But let's examine when we come back if that's really happened. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Try taking over-the-counter medications, but still have problems with nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, sinus headaches, or a dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, why not fix the problem? From natural integrative treatment to minimally invasive surgery, Peachtree ENT Center will work with you to find the solution that works best for you. Call 404-591-9100 today to make an appointment or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce a new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with the Executive Director of the Association of Independent Doctors, Ms. Marnie Jamison Carey. And before the break, we were talking about how these hospitals managed to get legislation in their favor and then set up these fiefdoms, these too-big-to-fail hospital systems. Now, you know, before the break, Marnie, we're talking about that, and I ask you to think about or to expand on what their, you know, how this has changed for them. It sounded great at first, right? They Pac-Man'd all these doctors. They took over whole healthcare systems. And I don't see personally that they're providing better access. It's very difficult, I find, to get a patient in if you have to consult with some of these docs. And they're waiting longer. And what I'm seeing is that they're not really getting seen by physicians. So what's been their business model? I know they're using tax law against us, but how else are they saving money and, and cutting corners, because I think that's what they're doing on patient care. Well, 
first of all, there is no study at all that shows that costs go down and quality improves when hospitals consolidate. 100% of the studies will show the opposite happens. And so all the time that it, CEOs and are trying to tell the community that, oh, we're going to merge or we're going to acquire this, this group or that group and we're going to, quote, streamline care and increase in fish efficiencies, share patient records, eliminate redundancies, blah, 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 mm -hmm. doesn't happen. The costs skyrocket 20, 30, 40%. Moreover, if one hospital buys the hospital next door, they eliminate that competition, mm -hmm. right? If they were competitors before, now they're one. So when you're not competing, you don't try as hard, and they lose their competitive edge. So studies have shown that the quality goes down, not up, when these systems merge. The other, big, I think the most important factor is the access for patients really changes because when a hospital owns a physician, they require that physician to refer only to other employed physicians in the system. So you go in and you need a breast biopsy and your primary care doctor is employed by the hospital, they can only refer you to a hospital-employed breast surgeon whether that's the best surgeon with the best outcomes or not. And you don't even know you've lost access. You just have to stay within the system because they get all the money for that, and the money is significantly higher than, than you would be charged if you went to an independent doctor on top of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this really horrible trifecta that patients, in the face of healthcare consolidation, they lose access, they lose quality, quality and they increase their out-of-pocket out spending. It's a mess. we got to stop it. Absolutely. And then... They offer these or tack on these surcharges, these facility fees, which I've yet to figure out exactly what what's in them. How do they get away <laughs> with that? Okay, so I have that's a great question, and it's something that we have been fighting since our inception, and we're making baby steps. So. Facility fees are fees that hospitals get to add on to physician services on top of their employed physicians that independent doctors can't and don't charge. So if a hospital owns what they call an outpatient department that has physicians in it and they do um, an EKG or they do a, a colonoscopy or something like that, mm -hmm. they get to layer in a big chunk of money that's called the facility fee and they argue to Congress, and I'll explain how that happened. They argue that, well, we take care of the sick and poor, we, we leave the lights on 24-7, we have all this infrastructure, so we need to amortize the burden of that cost by layering in these facility fees that add zero value to the patient. You're right, there's nothing in there. It's just cash. So they get to layer these in, and if you compound that, by all the doctors that are now acquired, and it's about two-thirds of physicians are now employed, and if all of those doctors have a facility fee tacked on and they can only refer to other doctors, every specialist that doctor refers you to, every MRI, every uh, outpatient surgical procedure, all of these get these facility fees layered on. So a basic knee arthroscopy could go from $7,000 to $35,000 just in the facility fee alone. So it, it's bad. So there's a group called the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, and they've been around for a while, and they advise Congress as to how to save Medicare dollars, so noble mission. And since at least 2012, they have been saying, get rid of, start paying the same amount 
for the same procedure regardless of where it's performed. In other words, eliminate facility fees and achieve something they call site neutrality. So regardless of where the procedure is done or who performs it, we should Medicare should pay the same amount for that service. Makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So. This is year over year. Their report to Congress is saying site neutrality, get rid of facility fees. So I have a a contact at, at CMS, and I went and talked to him. His dad happens to be a member of AID, and his dad told him he had to meet with me. So I went, I got a just put in the door, and I said, explain to me why is and this this fellow sits to the right hand of Seema Verma. He's very high up. I said, help me understand how is it that that MedPAC has been telling you year over year to eliminate facility fees, and yet Medicare hasn't. Done it. He said, Marnie, it's because MedPAC advises Congress. This is written into the law. We would love to change it. We would love to achieve site neutrality, but it will literally take an act of Congress. And then we get back to the $22 million that the American Hospital Association lines our lawmakers' pockets with every year, and you see why we are in the mess we're in. Wow. This is crazy. I mean, it's like a, it's, there's nobody watching these guys, and there's no accountability. And while they keep spouting about how we need to make this single payer, because it's so expensive, all they would have to do is a couple of things to make it unpalatable. I mean, you just described at the beginning of our conversation how it's in their favor to be more expensive. That's the only business that I can see that is allowed to be more expensive and make them, you know, make them more profitable and give them more power. Usually if you're competing, it has to be lower in order to get business. It's a peculiar, uh, you know, pressure upward, and everybody's feeding at the trough apparently. It's an industry unlike any other. Mm. And I do think, though, not to be downer the whole time, I'm seeing glimmers of hope. Want to hear some rays of sunshine? Please. (laughs) Well, (laughs) please, otherwise we have to go get a stiff drink somewhere. Um, one of one thing that has happened this last year, and we commented on it um, on the government forum, and also I, I sent a notice to our friends up at the up at CMS. CMS, they know this is wrong. They would like to see site neutrality, and they would save a lot of money. So they they felt that it, they had the authority, although it's a, it will take an act of Congress to truly eliminate facility fees. They felt that they had the authority to abolish facility fees for office visits. Hmm. at out, hospital outpatient centers. So that's just the visit. Now, it turns out, as you know, that the most common Medicare reimbursement is an office visit. Patients go to see their doctor for a visit. Yeah. Fewer have procedures, but those are far more expensive. So they did, as of November 1st of last year, after a period of comment, and, of course, the hospital <laughs> was sending in 30-page documents saying why this is a terrible idea. <laughs> they were fighting it tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, they the CMS, you know, looked, considered all the input and said, you know what, we think we have the authority to do this and we're going to enact site neutrality at hospital outpatient departments. And we're, they, they did something nice. They lifted the reimbursement a little bit to independent doctors, like maybe 30% mm-hmm. and lowered it 70% for the hospital outpatient department. So independent doctors got a little bump mm-hmm. and the others got a haircut. Uh, so overall, this is this is chicken change, but it, they saved Americans $750 million. They will save in a year in Medicare. That's small because we're talking a, a billion, trillion-dollar budget, but it's a start. 
of course the hospitals freaked out there's lawsuits they're saying you can't do that you overstepped you don't have the authority they anticipated all of that cms did they're loaded for bear and they're you know we think we did so that's in play i love that we don't know if that's going to get revoked it's a great step wow and as you know, where Medicare goes, commercial insurance follows. So that's why this whole industry is shaking at the knees. They're like, they're saying, oh my gosh, if they figured this out, it's only a matter of time before mm-hmm. Americans come up to their Congress people and say, why in the heck do you still pay facility fees for all this other stuff? So we need to pull that that kingpin out next, and we're on our way. So there is a baby step in the right direction. Eyes are getting opened, and and we do have you know we're bipartisan. We don't you know we don't start on one side or the other. But there is some glimmers of hope in the White House. I saw a White House report, 114-page document by the Secretaries of Health and Human Services, Labor and Treasury, that talks about all the things that we want to see happen, and they get it. They get that we're there's too much consolidation. They get that site neutrality has to happen. They get that we need price transparency in the marketplace. So I was reading this report thinking it was just going to be another bunch of bureaucraties, and I was really heartened. I'm like, there are people up there who get it. So I'm hoping this starts to have a ripple effect. On that wonderful note, let's take our first break, our second break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Follow us on multimedia platforms, including Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Subscribe and share it with your friends. If you've tried taking over-the-counter medications, but still have problems with nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, sinus headaches, or a dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, why not fix the problem? From natural integrative treatment to minimally invasive surgery, Peachtree ENT Center will work with you to find the solution that works best for you. Call 404-591-9100 today to make an appointment or visit us at PeachtreeENTCenter.com because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Miss Marnie Jamison Carey. And before the break, it was just like a ray of sunshine that you just, uh, you know, opened up a door and it felt like a big breeze through 
of freedom <laughs> blew through. This is great because once you make that, I mean, I'm sure they're fighting this tooth and nail because once you have that crack in their armor, it's going to start to fall because if they're really serious about saving health care and saving costs, I think they've decimated the doctors. There's no way on earth they can actually ask doctors to do anything else. They won't be any. Uh, so I think they've abused us long enough. Now it's the hospital's turn. But looking at now I kind of understand what's going on in the hospital setting then because I'm seeing a real changing of the guard. The ERs are being staffed by nurse practitioners and physician assistants, not many doctors anymore. When I get, of course, the urgent cares, they've already been taken over by mid-level providers, and the doctors are really on the, you know, very rare that you actually see any of these these type of entities, these frontline care locations being staffed by physicians. Is that the reason, do you think? Is that because the hospitals are trying to save money that we've seen, you know, they used to buy practices, now they're trying to get rid of them. Well, you talked about the urgent cares. Let's start with that, that for a moment. Urgent cares are often, most often, owned by the hospitals in their communities and their feeders into the hospital. And the hospitals and the insurance companies, they are in collusion by, you'll love this, calling everybody a provider. Yeah. So whether you're a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, an MD, a DO, or an RN, you're a provider. And you put a white coat on and pretty soon the poor consumer doesn't know who's seeing them. Mm-hmm. And this is all, if a, if a PA is seeing you, they have to, they get to pay the PA less money than if it's an MD. So they want to blur those lines and get away with paying less. And if, if it becomes out of the scope of practice of these folks at the front lines, then guess what? They get referred into the hospital, which is what the hospital really wants. As much as they say, we want you to stay healthy and out of our hospital, they don't. They want you to get in their hospital and put your head in a bed. So that's um, that's what's going on there. And I think that um, people need to find urgent care centers in their community mm-hmm. that are staffed and run by independent doctors. I think so, too. We're fortunate here in Atlanta. We have one three now. I think there are up to three run by emergency physician doctors, which is really unusual. These guys used to be in the ER staffing them. I think they saw the writing on the wall and decided they wanted a different level of care, and they've gone on their own. So, the, you know, I predicted that there would be a two-tier system of health care, and unfortunately, I think I'm right. If you spend your money and you know what the cost is, you're getting a different standard of care than someone who just goes along and just does what the insurance company tells them and ends up with some, you know, provider. And we need to educate the patients, though, because I think they're ready to listen. They've thought about it's free is good and doctors don't, you know, work for me kind of thing and health care is a right. But I think they're trying to starting to figure out that they're not getting their money's worth, that they're paying a lot out of pocket and they're getting substandard care and they're looking now to find the old, old-fashioned type of medicine. So how does, do you find that, that, that people are, one, at this point looking for things and ready to listen and that they're actually seeking AID out uh, to find doctors who are independent? Well, yes, and I here's some more glimmer of, of light. Um, I was at a conference oh, a couple weeks ago in Tampa on um, empl- for employers, and I wanted to hear what, what was the good news for employers, how could employers keep their health care costs down, and this will be music to your ears because I know you practice this as much as you can.
understand. And it's direct pay. Mm. It is, they're working with, uh, and it's, and I used to think, oh, most companies can't pull this off. But I've heard from company after company of varying sizes and different kinds of industries who were, their employee benefit plan was now connecting directly to a direct primary care provider who had relationships with specialists and laboratories and x-ray facilities and pharmacies to get all-encompassed care for one price a month, very reasonable, like $65 per employee a month. And it was... um, saving these companies 75% of their healthcare dollars. I mean, they were, and the employees were ecstatic. Mm-hmm. So they're getting better care. It's it's much more affordable. And the most important thing, I think, is, is you, you pay directly. I mean, I love the word direct. You pay the provider, and the provider gives you care. Mm-hmm. The minute you start triangulating through an insurance provider or through the government, for how to handle your dollars. First of all, they need to take a piece of it just to stay in business, and they then get to authorize what you need and what you don't, and that takes the decision-making power out of the consumer's hand and out of the doctor's hands, and that's not right. So there there are more and more people who are figuring out, wait, there's something terribly wrong with this system. Why don't I just go to the doctor I want to go to, pay him what he charges, and get rid of all these people in the middle? They're the problem. Mm -hmm. I like to say, and I'm getting all worked up because I get I so know. mad, but, I totally <laughs> but um, access is what we all want. Access to care is not a problem if care is affordable. So it's not coverage, it's access that we want. And the reason it's not affordable is because of all these middlemen who have their hands in the cookie jar taking a big chunk of it. So if we get back to a relationship between the patient and the doctor and you can pay them what what they need to charge, you will be in far better shape. And we will see America's health care costs come rapidly down. So it will be an uncomfortable correction for some people in the market, but it's high time. You know, they've, they've fed up a trough and ate, you know, rode the gravy train for years. How much do they need? Do they really need to have five-figure salaries for every, all the administrators that are not doing anything to help patients but actually limiting access and pocketing it? I mean, you know, that, I think we now have to have an, an intelligent and true conversation because as soon as you start to talk about patient-centered and patient-having the control, then you have a whole group of people coming out and talking about how single-payer is the answer. And I want to get your take on that because the way I see single-payer is a doubling down on what we have right now, except instead of it being a private system that the insurance companies are running, it will be the government. But I think the government will still outsource to the insurance companies like Medicare for All, so you still have an administrator and a middleman, but you're forced into buying a product just like Affordable Care Act that you'll never be able to afford. How do you see Medicare for All? Well, I know it's popular among Americans, but I think it will begin to become very unpopular when they see the nuts and bolts of the plan. So then there are a couple things to be very concerned about. One is, as Medicare stands, it is destined to fail in seven years. Actuarially, we can't sustain it. So why would we add to that when we can't sustain what we have? That's the first question. The second question is taxes are going to go up astronomically, astronomically. I've heard it, I've heard that they will treble. 
So already one in every three or four dollars goes to health care spending in this country, and that's for the 65 and older population. So if we throw everyone in there, it's going to be a heck of a big chunk of our budget. I think Americans won't like the sticker shock of what it's really going to take. Third, and this you have to look no farther than our VA system, our veteran system, and our the system we have in place on an Indian reservations mm-hmm. to see how poorly government-run health care really plays out. The VA system is a disaster. Out of, out of line prices, things don't get finished, and poor veterans waiting and waiting and waiting for access to clinic care. We shouldn't have any VA hospitals, and all of our veterans, we should cover their care to be taken care of in America's hospitals. We have plenty of hospitals. I don't know why the veterans can't use them. So it's a mess. When they get involved in health care, they make a mess. So, no, we don't want to extend that at all. That would be – and I like the saying, Vermont failed, so we don't have to. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's true. I, they stopped it, right? California never even got off the ground. So all these folks talking about how wonderful and sweetness and light really are never going to use this system, let's be honest. They talk a good game, but it doesn't apply to them. It never seems to, seems to do that. They grandfather or carve themselves out of the Affordable Care Act. But my thing is, if it's not good enough for Congress, it's not good enough for me. And on that note, let's take our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter at Medicine on Call, and read our blogs at DrElenaGeorge.com. If you've tried taking over-the-counter medications but still have problems with nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, sinus headaches, or a dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, why not fix the problem? From natural integrative treatment to minimally invasive surgery, Peachtree ENT Center will work with you to find the solution that works best for you. Call 404-591-9100 today to make an appointment or visit us at PeachtreeENTCenter.com because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. I love having conversations with, with you, Marnie, because I learned so much and I feel hopeful that we're, there's somebody on the front line with us as doctors who gets it and who loves what she does. And you're just such an, uh, an honest broker and a great spokesperson. And I love the fact that you're on my side. Well, thank you. And I'd like to put a plug out there for any independent doctors who want to be part of the cause. I'd love you to join us and call in or get on our website today and become a member of the association. We'd like to increase our bandwidth and our membership base. We're in 40 states. We've got over 1,000 doctor members, and we uh, we need you to support us in this fight. I, I agree. The more, the merrier. And I think we – doctors are like herding cats in a way. You know, we have our – independent ways of doing things, but we're all going to stick together on, we need to all stick together this, or we're going to go by the wayside because we've given up, I think you're absolutely right, a lot of power. And now I think there's been a little apathy and now we've gotten, you know, I'd say for our profession overall, I don't think we're in the best spirits right now. People are getting burnt out and they're just done. And it's nice to know that the people like yourself are 
are encouraging us to be our own people again, opening up your own practice, using going against the grain. I, I get you know, your newsletter, and people should join AID to get the newsletter and the, the emails that come out. I understand that there are doctors who were part of hospital systems, who separated from them, opened their own um, offices once again, and there seems to be a movement uh, that that's starting to become the in thing to do again. Is that correct? There is, and we just signed on all the doctors from now called Tryon Medical Group, formerly the Mecklenburg Medical Group out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and they had a 25-year hospital employment contract that they got themselves out from under and opened pra- private practice on uh, September 5th of last year, and it was it was a huge benefit for them and for the community. I think that you know the statistics, Elena, that doctor burnout is very, very, very big, and the studies show that the hospitals who the doctors who work for hospitals have a much higher rate of burnout than independent doctors who have a far higher satisfaction in their job than uh, than those who work for hospital systems because they're burning out our doctors, and doctors are leaving. Not some of them aren't leaving to go into independent practice, which is what I would like to see happen. Mm-hmm. But some are going into other fields, and, and a doctor a day commits suicide, which mm-hmm. is just heartbreaking. It's the, it has the highest rate of suicide of any profession medicine does. So of interest, I think last Friday I spoke to the Massachusetts Dental, at the Massachusetts Dental Symposium and the title of my talk was Will Dentistry Go the Way of Medicine? Wow. And they, they're not <laughs> so far gone, but man, did I scare them. Only fewer than 8% of dentists are owned by corporate entities. Now, private equity is buying up doctors just as much as hospitals are, depending on the specialty. Mm-hmm. And you've got Bright's, Bright, Light, Bright Smile and Aspen Dental and all, you know, various dental groups that are buying up dentists and turning them into cogs in a wheel and trying to monetize that whole practice. And, and I told them what was in store by showing them what has happened to medical doctors. And I think I put them here. <laughs> so anyway, there, it's not, it's not too late for them, but, um, hopefully you guys will see your way out of this. And I'm hoping, I'm helping light the way to get, get doctors independent again and to get, return the practice of medicine to one between the doctor and the patient and get the middlemen out of the room, the government, the hospital administrators, and the insurance companies. They don't belong in your exam room. No, and I, neither does Wall Street. And, you know, I, I want to discuss that because I think part of the power that the hospitals have had has been Wall Street. When you look at a lot of these startups, you know, they're – and I, here in Atlanta we had a, a movement towards buying up urgent cares and making them into chains, and it was Wall Street doing it. You know, and opening up right across the street from independent urgent cares and underpricing them, putting them out of business, and then I found that they sold those practices to hospitals. So it was like they were the advanced people, and they just, you know, they sold us out. And is the money, and you just described, curious, is the money still the future money moving towards these types of systems, or is it pulling back and looking for another sector? Obviously, dentistry is one, it seems to me. And they figure they've, they've ridden a horse to death on, on medicine. But do you see that, or is, is that a way that the hospitals will lose power in the future if they stop getting uh, fed by the Wall Street crowd, the market investors, those startup people who start do healthcare startups? I don't know that that private equity is fueling the hospitals so much as copying them. I think that they said, wow, how did the hospitals make so much money? 
you know, oh, my gosh, they, they sewed up the market, and then they charged facility fees. What a brilliant idea. You buy up your competition and then add a layer in a fee that is meaningless and, you know, have more bargaining power with your insurance companies. They like, they like that model. So they started going after all the doctors that the hospitals weren't going after. So mm. hospitals like surgeons and and ogists like oncologists and, uh, you know, anybody who's going to admit, right? right? They like the admitters. And the private equity groups like the non-admitters, like dermatology is prime, uh, anesthesiology is great, um, eye doctor ophthalmology is great. So they're looking at all of the doctors groups that the hospitals aren't buying and they're just they're just copying the model. Mm-hmm. So in urgent care centers were, were another one. They're like other oh, independent doctors that so are picking those guys up and just saying, well, why don't we just create a monopoly and then charge mm-hmm. a lot more, get more bargaining power with the insurers? Since the hospitals have done a brilliant job of it, we can do that too. Wow. So they're just picking up the rest of the market. I see. I never thought about it that way, but that's so. It's like carving a pie up. And mm-hmm. But where the pie? I mean, it doesn't work without doctors and patients. And we've just ceded the power. I mean, now, you know, you're an example of how we're going to get it back. But it's just, it's so tragic. It did not have to happen. If someone had stood up and said, no, I'm not selling my practice. I'm not doing what you want me to do. And this would never have gotten started. But, you know, I wonder, is do these these entities work together? Because the insurance companies had to make a conscious decision on the differential pay between what hospitals get and what doctors, independent doctors get. I think that was the nucleus. That was the, the fuel that led to doctors' exodus into the system. You, we got starved out, squeezed out, and nobody said anything. I mean, you shouldn't have a different pay, $10,000 for a tonsillectomy in a hospital versus 2000 in an outpatient center. What's the story? You know, I think that's part of what happened, don't you think? Yes, and I think one of the things that we fight for is transparency, is mm-hmm. price transparency. And I do think we're slowly inching our way to that, too, because if, if patients could truly see that it costs $2,000 at your clinic and $10,000 if I go to a hospital-based uh, ENT, then they would obviously go to your side. Right. But they don't know what things cost, and that is also deliberately obfuscated by the hospitals and the insurance companies. They don't want you to know, because if you did, you'd go another direction. So we stand up for price transparency because we believe that consumers will make a valuable, a good choice based on their value, not the cheapest price, but the best use of their dollar. And we had that law that got passed January 1 that all hospitals were supposed to post their prices. Yeah. But of course, They've made them completely impenetrable and buried them on the 43rd page Mm -hmm. of their website. Anyway, but I I like to think it's hopeful and we're going to call them out on that and say, no, 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 we really, really need to know what the real prices are. And I've spoken, I was spoken at this Congress, um, the World Healthcare Congress last week, and my talk was on bypassing barriers to transparency. And I forgot who I was talking to. There are 1,500 people in the audience, and of course, these are hospital executives, insurance companies. And I I think I'm preaching to the choir, which I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, everybody. Everybody wants price transparency, and then I heard people in the audience going, "Not everybody." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, you don't. But um, but I do think we're going to have to make that 
get that to crumble. And what I think doctors can do, the most important thing you can do and doctors can do is post cash prices. Mm -hmm. Don't forget what the Blue Cross payment is. Forget what Aetna pays. What do you charge? If I wanted to come in and get a tonsillectomy from you or a sinus, whatever you do to open up my sinuses or whatever mm -hmm. you do, I want to know what that is your base price. Look at what um, Keith Smith is doing out at the Oklahoma Surgical oh, yeah. Center. Brilliant, brilliant cash price. People are flying in from all over the country, all over the world, because they know what they're going to expect, and their outcomes are fantastic, and their right. prices are a fifth. So I think doctors can start posting cash prices, and insurance companies, you know, they love they love the idea of everything's a secret. You know, it's illegal to share your contract price. So hospitals gain bargaining power by sewing up a marketplace and buying up doctors and securing that pay, those, that number of patients so they could go to Blue Cross and say, I've got this much market power, you better make a deal with me. And they're not, and the insurance company and the hospital is not allowed to share that price, so you can't even compete against that. So it's unfair practice, but that's the, the laws on their side. And the last month, um, I heard Trump float the idea of across-the-board transparency, mm -hmm. just letting all the contracts, you know, open them up. And he, he didn't insist on it, but he said he was going to look into it. He kind of had a trial balloon. And, of course, that sent skirmishes up throughout the <laughs> industry. But that's a good start. You know, let's, let's open it up. Let's make it all transparent. Show me the money. Show me where it goes. Tell me the deal. And let's compete. I think we need a free market and an open market, and we can't if there's no transparency. Why, you're right. This, why is this the only um, uh, system or organization or entity that doesn't work that way everything else does in the entire country if you're building a house you know how much it's going to cost you know what i mean you can shop around you can do it if, with lawyers you can do it with every other profession but healthcare seems to be this sacred entity that nobody can penetrate or they don't want you to for that matter but they're using it as a piggy bank everybody that is legislating and in and running the show has stands to gain, and there's a conflict of interest. What happened to, you know, breaking this up? I mean, it's become a monopoly. It's become a cartel, really, and nobody's able to talk about it. Nobody's able to. I can't even tell a colleague how much I charge, but they can do whatever. That doesn't make sense to me at all. It does. I don't understand why they have all those privacy laws in place. Um, but insurance was, you know, came into play during World War II when there was a price free. There was a, a freeze. The government froze salaries. Nobody, could, no employer could raise, get their employees more money during the war. Mm -hmm. And so, in order to keep their employees, they decided to offer health benefits. So, you know, we can't pay you more, but we can throw a little, you know, a little something at you. And that became so popular that what the employers were doing voluntarily, the government decided was mandatory. And and then insisted that in, that employers make insurance mandatory to their employees if they're of a certain size, and here we are. Yeah. So once again, yeah, once again, <laughs> the government, with its good intentions, has gotten us into uh, into the thick of things. And the other uh, piece of this that you're, I'm sure you may you, you know this about medical loss ratio, that was another mandate within Obamacare that sounded well intended, but it said that for insurance companies, every out of every dollar you get in premiums, you need to spend 80 cents on a patient claim, and you can only sit, you only keep 20% for your profit and overhead, which you know seems pretty fair. 
And once again, the business people are smarter than the government, and they quickly realize that 20% of $1,000 is better than 20% of $500. So if your premiums triple, Mm -hmm. they're getting 20% of a much bigger number, which is a much bigger number. So which way have healthcare premiums gone since Obamacare went into effect? Straight up. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's not they don't think about it. I don't know. I know. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't a math major, but I could see that coming. <laughs> exactly. Like common sense. People with common sense need to start running things. Now there we only go. have a, a minute or so left. Tell us how we can once again how doctors can join AID. If patients, if there's an a, something that a, a section that patients might want to go in and read, so they can be educated as well. Sure. Well, there are three ways. Um, I would welcome doctors to join. We're a nonprofit trade association, and so we're, we have benefits for our members. It's $500 a year to join as a doctor. We take dentists, DOs, MDs, doctors across the board, and you can go to our website, www.aid-us.com. .org. There's a join button up in the top right-hand corner, and uh, you can sign up there or you can call our office. There's a web, There's a number on there on the website. Call our office and join. There's also a health advocate level. If you're not a doctor but you care, you're involved in healthcare in some way as a consultant, it's $100 a year for you to join. And if you're just passionate about healthcare and want to keep up, call our office and or send us a uh, email to info at aid-us.org and tell us that you want to be on our Friends of Aid mailing list and we'll keep you informed. We also have a directory of independent doctors on our website and there are members who have chosen to have their names revealed. Not all of them want to be on there because they're afraid of the hospital's retaliation. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, But you can find a independent doctor on our website and that's another be- benefit of membership for doctors. They can be on our independent doctor directory. Marnie, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Please, um, anytime you want to come on to give me an update, or give my listeners, I should say, an update as well, it'd be awesome to have you. Well, you are a ray of light, and I love what you do too, so it's my honor to be your guest, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much, and God bless. You too. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Thanks once again to all my loyal listeners for listening to Medicine on Call. You can join me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Medicine on Call, and read my blogs at DrElenaGeorge.com. Have a wonderful week. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.